What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You've probably heard of Mace, the brand that invented pepper spray. Mace also has tons of awesome self-defense products. Pepper sprays, pepper guns, stun guns, personal alarms, and more. With Mace, you're prepared for scary situations like creepy parking garages or dark alleys. Visit mace.com and check out their combo kits. The Mace combo kit includes all the tools you need to protect yourself. Enter promo code CRIME Crime. for 20% off combo kits today. This week's show is sponsored by First Day Back. It's a really great podcast about people returning from the hardest experiences of their lives. And they talk about essentially their first day back at work or from the family or right. That's, That's right. The That's theme, why right? it's yeah. called First Day Back. Okay. Last season was about a woman coming back from prison for shooting her own husband. Their new season is all about a comedian who died on stage. I mean, actually died. His heart stopped for five minutes. And what happened next? I hope it was a standing ovation. Check out First Day Back in your podcast app now and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we talk about one of the craziest true crime stories we have ever seen. We've got strong feelings about Abducted in Plain Sight from Netflix. Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist and waders high in basement water, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. It's been a long week, Rebecca. (laughs) It has. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and our favorite certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Yeah, that um, that cat that I captured that um, wasn't um, actually stray is back at my house, by the way. <laughs> it actually tried to walk in my front door this week. It's basically abducted in plain sight, playing out, but with cats. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Stockholm I've kidnapped syndrome. it twice, and it just keeps coming back because it wants to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our own Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Uh, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we should mention this. If we sound any different to you all, that is because... We are not drinking in the evening. We are drinking coffee in the morning as we record this <laughs> podcast. And we are doing that because, Kevin, uh, we had to deal with a little bit of a weather-related emergency this week. Do you want to briefly fill our listeners in on why you are so cranky? Yeah, the, the night that we were supposed to record, it had been raining all day. We had had 10 inches of snow earlier in the week. Then we went to a 50-degree swing up to the spring-like weather. 
And our old house, which we are renting to a very nice couple, uh, sits sort of at the bottom of a hill. And so all the rainwater started rushing down and kind of became, uh, you know, it had all this mass to it because it was slush. And the rising water breached the top of the foundation. So the water was pouring over the sides in, into the basement. It was a waterfall. It was a waterfall. An indoor waterfall. It was, it was a water feature <laughs> all over the floor. And tenants are great because they trying to take care of a lot of it themselves and before they, they got us involved. And they got a pump, which you know was trying to keep the, the water up from outside from, from, from going in to bring that water table down. And we were inside with wet vacs just – you know, getting as much of the water up. And, you know, part of where the water was coming down passed through the leach fields, it's all gray water coming in. and Which the, means it smells like poop. It smells like poop. <laughs> but we got that water out. and Oh, my so, God, the water was so cold. It was just, yeah. So we're still kind of sitting around waiting for uh, some some other res- professional assistants yes. to clean things up. And you up. probably also have E. coli now. Congratulations. I oh, was sure God. not to touch my face. <laughs> oh, God. What a mess. Life in New England. Yeah. Life yeah. in a northern town. Hey, um, uh, that's what uh, that song was about, it. right? Yeah, exactly. It was about poop water. <laughs> totally, totally. So if oh, I get a call yuck. from the professional cleaners in the middle of this podcast, yes. I'm going to have to go, which yes. would be a shame because I got so much to say. Yes. The serve pro people who come in after their fires, is that who's coming yeah. in? Yes. The, the, yep. the most expensive yeah. thing you can possibly do. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no, no. They, you know, their uh, their motto is, like it never happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except when you look at your checking it's account It's like balance. done disappeared. Yeah. No, they've actually done super, super great work. That poop so. is going to done disappear. It's <laughs> like it done never disappear. happened. Yep. Well... Speaking of, (laughs) (laughs) our friend is back after what some might call a super bizarre second season of Done Disappear that focused on the case of a goose ganking. Our favorite non-podcaster slash filmmaker has returned with season three of Done Disappeared. Oh, yeah. We're just going to play it right now. John David Booter Films in Davistown, (laughs) Pennsylvania, in association with me, John David Booter. This is Done Disappeared, season three, with me, John David Booter. John David Booter, of course. He has to get his name in there multiple times. Now, uh, I know some of you at least listened to episode one of season three of Done Disappeared. Laura, did you take a listen? I did while I was rage walking and this dumb guy was making me so angry because he was punching the punching bag and I could hardly hear Dunn disappeared and I almost (laughs) Dunn disappeared him. (laughs) So, yeah, I listened. Yeah, Kevin, you didn't have to listen to it because I made you listen to so many parts out loud as I was listening to it. Yeah. Like, listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. It's like one of those movie trailers where they show you the whole movie. Yeah, now, uh, I there, knew. Yeah, there have been a couple of big changes in the production uh, this season and Dunn disappeared. First of all... John David Booter has found himself with an actual podcast network. Lar Bricker, are you aware that Himalaya, which he described as an MLM cult that branded him, is a real podcast <laughs> app and monetization network? Did you know that, Lar Bricker? I did not know. <laughs> uh, you learn something new every day, Rebecca. <laughs> you do. I was, is it like connected to the salt lamp thing? Nope. It's just a podcast app. It's actually, I believe it's very popular in China. So it's actually one of the most popular podcast apps. Oh, you're actually not kidding? Yeah. No, it's real. (laughs) And actually, I didn't realize it was real until I saw the guy from Himalaya on Twitter tweeting about and disappeared. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. All that's going to be real this season. 
Now, Toby, um, our friend John David has produced a longer episode, and we can talk about why that is in just a second. But he packed an awful lot in in terms of parodying other shows into this first episode of Done Disappeared. What did you think about that, and what did you hear pop out to you as like direct satire of other things that perhaps we've listened to on this show? Uh, the first thing that popped out was the music was <laughs> particularly pumping this time. Yep. So part of it sounded like I didn't listen to Up and Vanish season two, mm-hmm. but wasn't wasn't there? Did we listen to like an episode or something where there was a woman who was like a psychic? Yes. The opening of this episode is directly paralleled to the opening of Up and Vanish season two, which we did listen to and reviewed on this podcast, yeah. Toby, where he tromps up a mountain and goes into a, a drum circle. Remember? I've been trying to repress that and then it <laughs> suddenly came screaming back. We've reached a clearing in the middle of the woods, with many people gathered about. With only the glow of the moon and a fire nearby, I can barely make out their faces as they speak to me. Hey, Josh. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's good to meet you. My name's Todd And the Dr. Death and the ads. The head, the head so big that it, because of his oh, podcast success. I liked that one. I was waiting. His head was so big he had to build a shed out back to fit it, but that never came out. That's right. Every time he becomes more successful, his head gets a little bigger, resulting yeah. in his having to go to Dr. Death, which he then tells us he's making into a podcast that will come out in 2017. And from everything I heard, he was the only surgeon in the country who could help me. We're at our most vulnerable when we go to a surgeon. We place our trust in the person at the other end of the scalpel. Because he seemed very professional. I, I did notice that his office was in an abandoned post office and his scrubs had blood all over them. And when he placed his stethoscope on me, it felt like plastic and said Fisher Price on it. And he was holding a scalpel that looked like a box cutter. But I didn't notice any big red flags. And then he put me under. You had never heard of Dr. Jeremy Death and could find very little information about him. It was almost like Dr. Jeremy Death wasn't a doctor at all. This is what I love about Done Disappeared. We have to talk about the precision of that parody. Even the sound quality of it, the sound quality of the voiceover, sounds exactly like the Dr. Death <laughs> podcast. They even mm-hmm. have like a rock and roll fake Dr. Death theme song. It was just so spot on in terms of if you had listened to Dr. Death and then you heard this, you would act, you would get all the jokes and you would you would get the satire in this. And, and I just loved the affliction that led him to Dr. Death in the first place. <laughs> That's right. Now, one, one final point, Kevin, because I don't want to give away too many spoilers for this first episode of Dennis Appeared Season 3. I would tell listeners, and we've heard this from a few people, that if they got lost, if they, they fell off the Dennis Appeared train at some point maybe they fell off of it with that uh goose ganking goose ganking or super weird spinoff about the psychic that not everybody loved come back even if you listen to just one episode listen to this one episode of done disappeared season three and kevin i just want to break the news to you yeah you have some new competition when it comes to ad transitions i just want to play a clip for you so you know what i'm talking about hey guys it's me john david booter if you're anything like me until very recently you had never received oral hygiene products from a monthly (laughs) subscription service. But all of that changed when I signed up for Quip. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American... Real sponsor, Kevin. Yeah, good for him. (laughs) Real sponsors. He's got two. He's got Stitch Fix and Quip. And all the ads are just like that. How do you think these sponsors feel about their products being advertised in this manner? I think that they hopefully knew what they were getting into. (laughs) (laughs) Because his ads, you know, his his parody ads were so incredible and just so fanciful that I would imagine that if I were a sponsor, I might be 
what the hell is going to happen to my happen? own brand? So, <laughs> so uh, he's got to walk that fine line, and I'm sure he's doing that. He does, and he takes the Stitch Fix stuff and th- sort of throws it on its head, too, talking about like ordering things like knickers and monocles. <laughs> his personal stylist, <laughs> who's become his best friend, is setting him up with very Booter-esque apparel. For his wedding. For his wedding, yes. Uh, yeah. To Bevins Maroney, nice. the serial killer. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it doesn't work out. So I just wanted to give an update on something we talked about a couple weeks ago because I had a bunch of listeners reach out to me with very helpful veterinary advice emails. Is this about our dog Brighty? Yes. The little cockapoo? Do you guys remember, Laura and Toby, how I mentioned that our smaller, suckier dog had become a super aggressive eater and was grabbing food out of my hand like a shark at a Shamu <laughs> show? Yes. <laughs> a shark yes. at a Shamu <laughs> show. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, we got a lot of helpful emails from people saying like, Maybe your dog has diabetes. Maybe your dog has this. Maybe it has this. We finally took Bridie to the vet. It turns out she actually does have a weird disease. She has Cushing's disease. Oh. Which basically is like an overproduction of steroids. So basically she has roid rage for food. It is not our imagination. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yes. Apparently it's kind of serious. Well, yeah, wow. but she's also really old. I don't think that it's going to, like... How old is she? She's 10, which is not okay. super old, but, like, if she yeah. had this when she was one or two, it would be a bummer, but, like, I yeah. think her longevity is about a, a commensurate with what her longevity would have will be anyway. You know, they said the dogs with cushions that live three or four more years, no problem, so... um yeah, but she's going to have to go on some sort of like special diet, you know, like hormone therapy kind of situation. Oh. Wow. So is it only about food? Like she's not aggressive no. like towards people no, or just other food. dogs? <laughs> wow. That's interesting. <laughs> Our vet huh. actually said, you know, the steroid she's overproducing is like it's similar to or the same as a steroid they sometimes prescribe for other ailments. And he said whenever he prescribes the steroid to dogs, he always says to the owner, your dog is going to become a very aggressive eater. Watch out. They may steal food from your hands, plates, and or bite you if you try to take their food away from them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I had a story about a little dog grabbed an entire steak and tried to chew it really fast and choked to death. Yes. Oh, he was God. Like, this, up really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It makes them very wow. aggressive eaters. So, yes. They're like little... sharks. They're like sharks. Yeah, so, All of a sudden, wow. whatever. We, we do have a nice history on the show of providing uh, pet safety advice. Laura Bricker, I know you're an advocate <laughs> for the Cats Can't Eat Lilies campaign. Yes. Oh, yes. So we can yes. add this to the pile. If your dog suddenly becomes a more aggressive eater than usual, perhaps have them screened for Cushing's disease. And thus ends wow. the Pet Safety <laughs> Corner. <laughs> Should I do something? Go ahead. Pet, pet Safety, safety Corner. corner. <laughs> Perfect. Uh. Okay, <laughs> moving on, shall we, to the real content of this week's episode. Are you guys ready for this? Are you, Laura and Toby, you ready for this? I don't know. I might need to spike my coffee to get through this, but I, I'll be okay. A little clue in milk. What about you, uh, Toby? Oh, Are you ready for this or not? I am ready for this. I, You know, was there another podcast about this or I read an article or something? Like, this wasn't the first time I'd come across this story. Deals in a true crime obsessed by any chance? Uh, yes. Because I believe yes. they talked to the director of this documentary on True Crime Obsessed. All right. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Netflix has outdone itself with its latest true crime documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight. The doc recalls the story of Jan Broberg, who at the age of 12 was kidnapped by her next door neighbor, then kidnapped by him again four years later. Bert Schultz said, I want to take Jan out horseback riding. When she didn't come home, I was a little nervous. It was a nationwide search. Jan went with me voluntarily. 
They bring in aliens and mind washing. The mission was that I was to have a child that would save the alien planet by the time I turned 16. The Brobergs say the attacks still continue. If you're laying a trap for me, I'll kill you. His number one goal was to seduce Jan Broberg. And if he had to destroy the family, he would do it. The documentary explores the nearly unbelievable story of how Robert, known as B. Birchold, manipulated the entire Broberg family in order to be with a young girl. Relying on the strength of its source material, abducted in plain sight, is told in a straightforward interview format that is both shocking and maddening. Before we get into the conversation, I want to say two quick things. One is that we are going to be talking about plot points for abducted in plain sight. So if you want to remain spoiler free and just hear our review, jump ahead to the show notes. Number two, this documentary documentary covers sensitive stuff. I want to give a bit of a trigger warning about the kinds of stuff that we're going to be talking about in the documentary, but also the way that I am sure we are going to be talking about it because it gets kind of absurd and I'm just going to leave it there. So if you're the kind of person who does not want to hear people perhaps saying WTF and laughing a lot when they're talking about a very sensitive story, this may not be the review yeah. for you. So you may just want to skip ahead to the to the yeah. up and down reviews. All right. So one thing I want to talk about is the format of Abducted in Plain Sight. Those very stylized recreations cut in between just the straight interviews. Toby, what did you think of the format of this documentary and and the justice it may or may not have done to the telling of this story? I actually had a big problem with it. I thought it was completely sort of deceitful. Mm. Uh, And at first I was like, oh man, they've got film of this because it's always kind of fuzzy and you, you don't get close-ups or whatever, and they'd never tell you that these are recreations. At least if they did, I didn't see it. So I guess I get the point of wanting to have something and then have it seem like it's sort of period appropriate, uh, but maybe just putting a note that, you know, these are recreations or mm. something. It, it just seemed deceptive to me. Kevin has a look on his face. Kevin, what are you thinking right now? You, you described it as highly stylized. I think, no, I mean, the jinx is highly stylized. I mm. mean, I think it's intentionally... Uh, lo-fi because they do want to match the, you know, they did have some uh, home movie footage. It's funny, it did make me think about, okay, look, there's just no way you can do any of these documentaries without some sort of B-roll. And and unless you have, you know, enough photographs to keep it interesting. To keep Ken Burnsing over? (laughs) Yeah, you know, so which, I mean, everybody does it a different way. Some there's animation, some there is, you know, recreation. I, I thought that, you know, that it fit like you know what they're trying to do you know in the first two or three like reenactment scenes that I think oh yeah they have something but I mean I think we're fairly sophisticated in understanding that this is how they're doing that so I don't know I mean I don't I don't recall any documentary putting up the reenactment well usually it's more obvious I think but I have to say I have one question though and Laura maybe you can answer this and then jump in with what you wanted to say about these reenactments but there were um, a lot of reenactments in these little scenes about like the girl like lying on a bed, the girl like listening to the aliens on the box, which we'll talk about. Who the hell would sign their kid up for this acting part? <laughs> like, would you be enthused as a parent to be like, oh, my daughter got a part in this Netflix production in which she plays the repeated victim of a child molester kid- and kidnapper? Like, it's crazy yeah. to think about that way. Yeah, I was I was kind of wondering about that. It's like, huh, okay, that's, um, especially when the guy, like, has to do his therapy and lay on bed next to her. Right. No. Absolutely not. I just got to say, it was super chaste as far as 
a film reenactment in the set, you know? Yeah. I think one time you see him go touch her shoulder, and I think it's the only yeah. physical contact they yeah. make. The, the child actors aren't necessarily told no. the larger scope of what this character is yeah. uh, happening. Yes, but it, still, their, their still image appears in this. I mean, I, oh, I, always, <laughs> yeah. I always think about this. Whenever we see anything that strong crime that involves kids, I always I think about it when we watch Law and Order, and it's like, oh, my kid got a part where they're playing a dead kid. <laughs> I always, I yeah. always just think about like, <laughs> I, and I know it's a job. I get uh-huh. that it's a job. I get it. It's I don't just, think you do though. It's weird though to me. It is weird to me. The Exorcist. Okay. It's weird to yeah. me. It's weird. All right, Laura, go ahead. Sorry. So I, I actually didn't mind the reenactments like Toby did because in so many of these shows, the reenactments are so freaking cheesy and so bad and just so fake looking you know when you have like the really bad like actors recreating a scene while somebody's and you're like oh this is horrendous so this I kind of you know it actually looked real it I think just kind of helped the story move along so once I kind of I did have a minute in the beginning where I was like god how did they get this footage and I'm like no this isn't real footage and once I recognized that it it actually did work for me I think time and place is very important to the story and our understanding to the amount of understanding anybody can have about this story, uh, about why things went down as they did. So it was sort of a reminder of this is the 70s, I think is it kind of fit. But I all mean, right. Toby's got a different opinion, and that's cool. That's cool. We all are going to agree to disagree on that. Well, one thing that I would like to do talking about this, now that we've talked about really the only style thing I think we can talk about in this, in this documentary, because that's all that it is, is yeah. interviews and, and those reenactments. I want to just go through some of the points of the actual story that they're telling and get your reaction to them because that's what the documentary asks us to do. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. B, the friend of the family of the Brobergs, uh, we hear about his relationship with the parents and his wife's relationship with the mom and his relationship with them and their kids and their kids play together, live across the street, yada, yada, yada. And then we hear that as part of his psychotherapy, alleged psychotherapy, uh, one of the things that B does uh, with the parents' permission, with Jan's parents' permission, is come over to their house at night and lie down with her and sleep with her in her bed as part of his own therapy to get over his own childhood trauma or whatever bullshit that is. Burstold was laying by me, and he definitely had his hands on me. He said I was tossing and turning a lot, and that I must have just, you know, gotten uncomfortable and and taking my panties down. It felt like it was plausible because what was not plausible was that this person could have done anything to harm me. And then uh, that culminates in him um, taking her to visit some horses one day and kidnapping her and taking her to Mexico. All right, so that is the setup of this documentary. Laura, what do you think so far? Uh, What the fuck? As I was watching this, I was just, in the beginning, I'm like, huh, well... That doesn't, ah, uh, you know, like I just kept, my mouth just kept dropping. Like, I can't believe these people, their suspicion isn't up. And I'm like, huh, they're pretty naive. And then once we got to Mexico, I was just like, what the, I, I like, I was watching this by myself and I actually started like screaming at the TV when they were in the Mexican prison. At one point, one of the Mexican police officers led me down into a lower level in this dang dark, water-smelling hallway to B's cell. He gave the guard his gold ring in order for the guard to let him talk to me. What the ever, I, I don't even know. I, I can't even, it's just, it's it's like, it didn't even seem real. Like one thing <laughs> after another kept happening and I'm like, you've got to fucking be kidding me. Now they're in a Mexican prison. Now the aliens are coming. 
now they want to get married. Oh, wait, no, they are married. Like, it just, it just kept, and then, oh, the parents are not doing anything about the fact that they're married. Like, what is wrong with these people? Now, Toby, you said that you feel like there's two things going on here, the, the sort of tragic, disturbing story about a pedophile and then weird stuff about aliens. But as you say, that's just a detail. But you do have an interesting point in your notes about the manipulation of the parents. Can you talk about that a little bit? I, I think that he, Berktold, like he was able to kind of assess that family, you know, and I, I think there's a, a bunch of things that you can kind of like some of the stuff like kind of just comes out in the documentary, other things you can kind of intuit, but he's able to kind of size them up and figure out what their weaknesses are, uh, particularly sexually uh, with the parents and, you know, sort of unerringly figures out how to manipulate them. And the parents are just slaves to their passion or something. I, I mean, I don't even know how to really go about trying to explain how like the incident where, Burke holds in the car and says, you know, basically, I've got a hard on Mr. What's his face. Can you give me a hand? And the guy's like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> I could see that he, he was sexually aroused. He says, oh, can you give me some relief? We were laughing and he said, oh, Bob, it's just kid stuff. And I've got to have relief. He was earnest. You're obviously in a tough situation. Anything I can do to help out. And, uh, and it's just like the idea that he has, that Berktold has figured that psychology out enough mm. that this guy isn't going to be like, you know, screw you, dude, and stay the hell away from my family, which is, I think, what like a lot of people might say. The guy's like, oh, yeah, okay. And then he's able to use it to, to blackmail him. So, I mean, in some ways, I think the most interesting part of this whole documentary is is just how sort of incisive Berktold was about the family and how he could, what he could get away with and kind of the steps that he takes to make sure that he has access to Jan. Mm. Um, he was very good at so, it. I, that's, that's all I yes. kept saying over and over again. And this is where but the trigger warning stuff comes in. I kept turning to Kevin and I'm like, as pedophiles go, like this guy is super fucking good at being a pedophile. He's really good at it. Like he has mm-hmm. this whole thing down, like mm-hmm. nailed. Because I mean, there's a lot of people. His wife, who we hear almost nothing about, was totally yeah. cool with it. You know, his. Well, we don't know if she's totally cool with it. Well, she she's the one who convinced them to drop the charges and sign the affidavit so he can come back into the country. You don't with think that Jan. you don't think that he had her manipulated? He totally did. Yeah. This yeah. Yeah. What I there's a lot of people that he has. He's playing a game yep. with. All these people at once. He had all these balls in the air. You know, he's got the Jan stuff. He's got the mom stuff. He's got the dad stuff. He got the he got the his wife stuff. At one point, we hear he goes to the Mormon elders and they basically sanction him. And he's just like whatever. And he keeps like on going. Like he's really good at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the article I read or that other podcast, I wish I could remember what it was. <laughs> in the um, thing I'm referencing, which I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, spent some time on Google. I did it. Spend some time on Google and couldn't find it again. But Berktold's wife plays a little bit more of a part in that telling of it. Mm. And she's like pretty aggressively in his corner uh, Mm. with the family at at times. It's like sort of delivering messages from him to them, I think, especially when he's in Mexico, but not in a, you know, in kind of a threatening way for what that's worth. All right. Well, Kevin, I know that Toby thinks this is just a detail, but I really want to ask you about the alien plot. Okay. Um, in Mexico, in that motorhome, Jan describes remembering lying next to a box. I woke up. It was dark. 
I had the sensation that I was moving, but I was laying on a bed. My wrists and my ankles both had straps around them. I couldn't move. This monotone voice kept talking in my ear. It looked like a little white intercom-looking box that I could I could see to the side of my pillow. That's right. An alien voice giving her a mission to make a baby with B. She's warned that harm will come to her family if she doesn't follow the mission. She really does believe the alien thing, like, hardcore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know the alien stuff was, like, a popular pop culture conversation in the 70s. We all know that. We know that the story that uh, Burke told tells Jan about what happened to him when she finds him all beaten up and bloodied in the trailer is the Barney and Betty Hill story. He's just copying their New Hampshire abduction story and, like, telling it to Jan. What did you think of this alien subplot? Well, it's obviously, you know, pretty weird, uh, but it fits in with his M.O. of manipulation. You're right. I mean, this was kind of a a hot topic at the time, and a 12-year-old girl would probably uh, believe something like this. Again, she trusts this guy very much, and he's... He's able to super manipulate adults. I don't know much. I can't speak to much of this myself from any sort of personal experience. But With our listeners, no, our listeners who are LDS in the uh, the Mormon Church have said that there's um, a trust element that is particular to their faith that probably makes this story more believable. Mm. There is um, a quasi sci-fi element to you know the afterlife about getting your own planet so it kind of might you know start thinking fitting with stories that she's heard at church you know this a lot of people sort of see uh, you know religion in general I mean you look at the Catholic Church that uh, you know you have a lot of faith in what you're told in the context of this is what God or a higher power wants you to do and it's a it's a great cover for those who want to be bad actors. Now, I don't want to um have us be the ones talking on behalf of a members well, of the LDS say. church. I'm, this is what I'm hearing. Yes, I'm but I, so yeah. is it okay if I just go ahead and say say what have some of our listeners said? Yeah, yeah, I think sure. it's interesting. So we did get a question from Perdiel. She says, uh, we had a thread on this in our Facebook group, and and she responded to that thread, says, I'm surprised at how little focus there is in this in these comments on on the religion here. There's almost no mention of it in the documentary except for what Jan tells, says herself about the reasoning for believing the alien story. So Jamie, one of our listeners, who is an active member of LDS Church, she says she would ask us not to bash. She doesn't think think we would the LDS church I will say being LDS we are more trusting especially of other mm-hmm. members she says I grew up in LDS in Oregon in the 70s my parents never would have been that trusting but my mom was also convinced I would accidentally cut off my toes if I mowed the lawn um, then we heard from Jessica who is very thoughtful as well she is a former uh, member of the LDS church but she was very faithful for 28 years her comments also reflect those of my LDS whisperer friend Tyler who I sometimes reach out to when I have questions about uh, Mormon stuff that we're going to talk about in the show I want to just make sure I'm framing things the way that somebody with that perspective might. But Jessica says, um, 
The religion played a very large role in every part of this story, especially since they were living in an area that was prominently LDS. There is inherent trust among Mormons and a bigger likelihood to forgive in situations that may not be appropriate. The local leadership was clearly aware, she says. Um, Then she says Mormons tend to be overly sheltered and naive about sex itself. When you're taught that sex is dirty and, and bad your entire life until one day you're married and immediately expected to jump from maybe kissing to full on sex with no education. There's a tendency to repress something that should be natural and healthy. And then she also says um, parts of the religion that impacted Jan were touched on directly by her. She talks about the alien stuff. There are many things I still love about the church, but this story highlights why some attitudes and behaviors in their leadership can be dangerous and harmful. And then finally, she says, and this is important, I do not believe that Berkdold's pedophilia or abusive manipulative behaviors are due to his being LDS. I just think he had more opportunity and victims because of the culture of the church. Isn't that what I just said? Yes. But Did you just mansplain my answer? Thanks, Jessica. I just we just LDS explains your answer. He's LDS. From somebody who was actually qualified to give that answer. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. <laughs> I do not think that that is the point at all, though. I think that it's more much more a product of the '70s and sort of our culture about knowing who child molesters are and who what stranger danger is about. It's the guy in the van with the candy. It's definitely not the really friendly neighbor next door who offers to come in, who sends you flowers and decides, hey, I'll help you build a wall to separate these bedrooms. It just, the red flags are there in 2019. Can it be both? They're totally yeah, well, not there in 1972. It can be both, though, Kevin. Because, sure. Because in, in closed communities, there's more opportunity for predation. Well, I guess two things. One is... Like, I don't think any of that stuff that they were just talking about is just specific to LDS. I mean, that's that's almost any religious or, I mean, Catholicism. I mean, come on. There's a tendency to trust and then protect in these religious communities. I mean, it's not, I don't think that's LDS specific. And then the second thing is, they keep saying, well, it's the 70s, it's different. Like, this guy like literally kidnapped their daughter, took her to Mexico and married her and then comes back and they still let him sleep in her bed for his therapy. Mm. It's like, yeah, that's not, that's not being naive. You know, that's not the seventies. It's like, I, you know, bonkers. it could be that it could but be the 1870s. I mean, I know that it, it it's telling the story, but the idea that you're going to sleep in the bed, didn't that start before over, the first yes, abduction? He was able to see her a lot and slept over yeah. after the kidnapping. Well, I mean, yeah. they told that part of the story. They bounced around a little bit. What I liked about the way they told the story is that, you know, for the first 10 minutes, like they get through the almost the first kidnapping. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not go- well, this is done. Um, but then they step back and sort of ex- set, do the whole setup about sort of why he was able to get this far and manipulate the family. I, I think that that's sort of like, you know, one of the great ways that they tell the story. It is kind of stripped down in the way that they present the stuff. You know, so we don't have any video of like Jan today cooking eggs, you know, and uh, roll, dad stuff, yeah. fixing flour. Yeah, like all that that kind of stuff. It's just it's just very straight on. You know, this is kind of like what we remember seeing, like in that basement. Like, I know you don't like, you wouldn't like the paneling, the wood paneling right. or that shag carpet. Right. But you have to love that mid-century modern furniture I there. do. I do very much. The kind you could get from Joybird. Oh, Joybird. <laughs> Joybird offers one-of-a-kind furniture made to your unique taste. Turn your ideas into reality with hundreds of styles and options from mid-century modern to contemporary classics. This is just what I need right now. We're in the middle of this difficult conversation, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And then you pivot, maybe inappropriately, but because, you know, it's time for the ad break 
to literally one of my favorite companies on the internet. I'm obsessed with Joybird. I'm obsessed with it. It's one of those things that like pops up in my feed a lot because I'm on the website all the freaking time. I love it. I'm so excited they are sponsoring the show. Yeah. So excited. Yeah, they have a wide range of kid and pet-friendly upholstery available, as well as personal design consultants to help you nail down your perfect design. Just they did not have that in the seventies. No. When they, they did made not. those the first time. They did not. There'd be a grape juice stain and that's there. That's that. That's there forever, but not today. <laughs> With Joybird's three hundred sixty five day home trial, you can skip the furniture store and bring the showroom home. Did you say three hundred and sixty five day home trial? Yeah, you can sleep on it, sit on it, I mean really break it in, stretch out on it, and if you don't love Joybird, you can return it. For a full refund. See how Joybird is revolutionizing online furniture shopping. Create the furniture that brings you joy today at joybird.com slash crime. crime. Go to joybird.com slash crime, crime to receive an exclusive offer of 20% off your first order by using the code crime. Crime. Love it. What else you got, Kevin? Well, I know none of us can really believe our eyes watching abducted in plain sight. True. And part of that might be that we had a little eye strain from looking at that screen. Is that why? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that was it. <laughs> the average American blasts their eyes with bright screens for 11 hours a day. And uh, you can protect those eyes with a pair of Felix Grey glasses available with or without a prescription. Now, we might be so outraged that the glasses would shoot right off of our face. Yes, we would. Uh, but they would be there to filter out 90% of high-energy blue light and eliminate the glare coming off of those screens. So you can live your life without tired, dry eyes, blurry vision, or headaches. I tell you that, you know, when I am at work not wearing Felix Grey glasses, after a while, I will start to get a headache. Uh, some of it could be the boss. But I'm sure a lot of it is also the fact that your eyes are straining. And unless you can, like, take a break, which nobody can, it's just going to get worse. Felix Great frames are handcrafted from high-quality materials like organic Italian acetate and premium German steel. Uh, in fact, uh, throwing on some Felix Grays is an easy way to look put together. With free shipping and free returns, there's really nothing to lose. Don't go another day looking at screens without the help from some Felix Grays. Go to FelixGrayGlasses.com slash crime, crime to protect your peepers today. That's FelixGrayGlasses.com slash crime. Crime. All right, so Laura Bricker, did you watch this documentary alone or did you watch it with somebody else? I watched it alone. How did you get through this? Um, I, I don't even know. Um, I, it was funny because I think I was watching it and I started sending you guys messages on our little messaging app that we use and I was just like, this is fucking bonkers. Yeah. Like uh, bananas, as you would say. I was just uh, like, what is going on here? And then I think Kevin said, I would hate to be Laura watching this. That's right. I know, yeah. That's right. So <laughs> we watched it together, and I did tape some of Kevin's reactions to it in real time. <laughs> the judge sentenced him to five years and reduced all five years down to 45 days. What the fuck? He used to report <laughs> 45 days? Three months. Tom Brady served more time for deflate game than that guy served for kidnapping a girl taking her to Mexico. The, the fuck, people? Because this is definitely a singular kind of documentary where so much crazy shit happens that not having someone to react to it with, I can imagine it would be a very different experience. So, Laura, I have a question here that was posed by our listener, Candace. She says, let me get this straight. Your kid goes missing on Thursday night. You don't call the police because you don't want to upset your friend whose husband is also missing. You don't call anyone at all until Saturday, at which time you call the FBI 
who are off for the weekend. You still don't call the local police. You don't want to get the poor authorities all, quote, worked up over nothing, so you wait another day. Finally, on Sunday, you call the FBI office in Butte, Montana, instead of the local police, and you still don't think anything is wrong. He just took her somewhere. He didn't kidnap her. What the fuck, Candace says. Laura, thoughts? I just had a hard time sort of fathoming how somebody could be not only naive, but just like, so I don't know, trusting, I, clueless. I, I don't I don't even know what it was In that denial. was going on with these people. I was like, yeah, denial. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Like listening to this, I'm like, are you even kidding me? Like, I will tell you that, I, you know, if my kid, anything happens, I am on that so fast. And granted, we're in a different generation. But can, can you even imagine if your kid went somewhere and you're like, well, I really don't want to bother them now. You know, yeah. I'll wait till Monday. I'll wait till business hours, Monday through Friday, nine to five. No, uh, but but it just kept going like that, you know, and then he comes then then she comes back. They go get her in the prison. They bring her home. Oh, they don't ask her any questions. Um, hey, how's it going? And and that's the end of that. And oh, by the way, they're married. Oh, that's fine. Like I just it, as this continued to snowball, I just I kept sitting there going, I can't believe this. Like how like what and that that was pretty much how like I couldn't even speak um you know it was just because I was speaking to myself as this was going on um how can we call it I mean I think the naivete thing is one thing but then mom has an eight month long affair with the the man who kidnapped and married her daughter her 13 year old daughter in Mexico I loved my husband but I betrayed him my sexual affair with Mr. Birchtold lasted for eight months. I would say that I was in love with Birchtold. It was a exciting time for me. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. I know that there are some pedophiles who part of the thrill is to see how much of this they can do in front of the parents. Yeah. You know, just a reinforcement of their power. I, yeah, I was beyond amazed. I mean, I think... With, you know, this is a big assumption, and this is not really touched on in the documentary, so this is just me. I mean, I think it says a little bit about the mom and dad's relationship. You know, certainly someone who has an affair is not necessarily uh, has a character flaw or something like that. It happens quite a bit. But it seems to me like B was probably the only one who was giving her that attention. Mm. And so even though she just, oh, I stayed a little too long, I mean, I think that there there certainly is some shame. I mean, you look at the the father talking about his experience and the embarrassment. Oh, my God. By the way, in 1970, this guy looked old. <laughs> he looked old in 1970. He? Or the dad. The dad. The dad. Yeah, he did. The dad looked old then. He did. And, uh, you know, again, it just, I think that, you know, again, what contributes a lot to this is the fact that this was not the kind of thing that was discussed in popular culture or in mass media. And, and, and so a lot of people didn't have a lot of, experienced, you know, these things that, uh, you know, the manipulation that can happen. It's because of stories like this that today we recognize the signs, Yeah, you know? Yeah, but it is still kind of shocking. I'm, I'm reminded of, like, you know, one of the first episodes of, uh, of Mad Men that I saw taking place in the 50s, and it's like any women at the office were just secretaries, any uh, black people there were operating the elevators, right. and everybody was smoking. It's like, I can't believe that's the way it was. Right. This is just a family sort of, you know, very naive, too trusting, and, you know, somebody who's, who was able to identify certain things. 
And I guess it was all part of his plan to, you know, to have some leverage over the parents in case something happened. Toby, the one thing that really struck me was the casualness with which dad talks about the handjob story. Yes. The casualness with which the mom talks about her eight month long affair with the man who kidnapped and molested and married their like 12 and 13 year old daughter. And just kind of the, I don't want to say it's nonchalance. Obviously, this family has told the story before. But does it surprise you about their willingness to have so much candor just sitting in front of a camera? It's not like we're seeing them talk to other people. It's literally just them talking to the director of this film. What do you think? Well, I think they made the decision a while ago when they wrote that book, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, we're going to air our dirty laundry. Yeah, I think they've already kind of crossed that bridge. What, what I found kind of weird, I mean, I can see part of it is like in the grand scheme of everything that happened, the fact that I gave this guy a hand job in the car seems like kind of a minor moment compared to everything else. Although he does, he, I mean, he gets kind of, he gets pretty emotional about sort of the consequences of it. Mm. But I think the wife in particular, I think she recognizes it on a level, but there's some point at which it's like, look, this is what enabled everything else to happen. Right. Right. And so, yeah, you shouldn't have had an affair with this guy. And I think she's still like, you still get the sense that she looks like, oh, but it was such a wonderful time for me. She's wistful. Yeah, there's a wistfulness about it. And I think that, you know, that may be indicative of like the deeper lying issues (laughs) that obviously are there. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. When they were when they were both, uh, the, the parents, when they were talking about their sexual experiences with B, both of them, even though, you know, years have passed, they, at this point, uh, you know, I would hope, recognize that this was terribly wrong. The way that they speak about it sort of gives you this window into just how manipulative B was because they talk about it in such a way that they still talk about it with sort of, I don't want to say a fondness, but not in like, a oh, this is so disgusting. I can't believe I did it. More like just the way that they recount these sexual affairs that they had with him, it still didn't seem to really convey the seriousness of the situation because they talked about it in in sort of this like nostalgic way almost. He was very good. I mean, this yeah. is one of those moments where I was if, like, he must if, have been really fucking good at this. Yeah, that many years later for them to recount it in that manner, I was like, whoa, they were really sucked in. Well, I mean, they have had 45 years to process, you know, what's going on. So, And he was probably really good. Let's be he real. He's probably really good, but I, mean, yeah. I think it, it seems like, well, I don't, I, again, I just sort of judging by uh, the father's reaction, I think that he was a little more emotive than mom, but I think there are parts of it that, you know, they're still embarrassed by, and then parts of it where they're, you know, they're telling their, their story because, you know, they need to be brave and move on. Otherwise, you, you can't live your life in a, an emotional jail cell. Speaking of um, nonchalance, let's talk about Bee's brother, Joe. Who makes several appearances in the film. (laughs) My brother was always a sexual pervert. He always did like his little girls. Very casually telling us, casually, that his brother was definitely a pervert and a pedophile, and yet he still hired him to work at his car dealership. Because, you know, that's what you do. He was good at talking people into stuff. I hated that guy. Nobody was better at selling cars than the pervert and pedophile who got a whole family into bed with him, right? I I hated that guy so much. I I just was like, that was, I mean, when he was talking about when Jan ran off, when didn't B had like the amusement park or whatever it was that he bought and she went off to go there. Yeah, and then the brother went. He's like, and I, I have, to, I had never seen them. I had never seen my brother happier. They were just so happy together, and you know, yeah, she was a kid, but whatever. And I'm like, 
what? Like, are you even kidding me right now that you're recounting this story? Like, they, they, they were like having this big love affair and you were like, well, they're happy, whatever, you know, each to their own. I'm right. like, oh my, I just, I hated this man every time he came on. Well, there is this whole weird, like just going through some more plot points, um, you know, just so that we can get through this because there's so much. I mean, if we talk about every single plot point, we'll be here all day. But there is this sort of middle section where Jan it basically enters puberty and like becomes a petulant, pain in the ass teenager. And because she thinks she loves B, convinces her parents to put her on a plane to go to him at his family fun park in Wyoming or wherever the hell it was. OK, that was super weird. But then... In 1976, there is a second kidnapping. B starts coming into their house again, basically steals Jan away from her family, claims he doesn't know where she is for months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Meanwhile, he has squirreled her away at a private Catholic school in in California by telling the nuns he's in the CIA. (laughs) Thoughts? Anyone? That's the tell a big lie thing. What do you mean? Well, the idea that if you're going to lie, just lie huge because people... (laughs) Like if I say, well, I'm a traveling, you know, piano salesman, people be like, really? But if you're like, I'm an, you know, I'm an international assassin, then people are like, who the fuck would lie about that? You know, it's just like so outrageous. So it's the big lie. And if you look at the pattern here, it, nuns in this private Catholic school, closed community. He knows he can go there and like in way like make the nuns also buy into this because mm-hmm. who are they going to tell? It's a right. closed community. Right, right. They're not going to like leave the private Catholic school on the grounds and be like, hey, this girl's father is in the CIA. They don't talk to anyone else besides each other. These nuns, right? This guy knows what he's doing. No. Sure. And, well, he yeah. did because he set it up so perfectly so that if anybody did find her, the nuns were going to think it was somebody that was like, you know, the bad people that he and the CIA were hiding from. So he just set it up so perfectly. He did. Absurdly, but perfectly. So, Kevin, the FBI agent that we see throughout the film, uh, at one point during while we were watching it, you were just saying, I'm just waiting for him to say that he also fucked this dude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He also kind of, he seemed to get it, but not get it. Like, he was so, like, so annoyed with the parents and their sort of lack of ability to turn on B. Mm -hmm. And yet he also had sort of a nonchalance in telling the story, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't know why everyone's hung up on the nonchalance of it. Uh, you I'm know, not hung I up mean, on it. this it's didn't happen last year. It's just an observation. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that uh, his, uh, his frustration with them kind of seeped out around the corners of his interview. But yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? Uh, you're all going all over the country trying to find their daughter, and then you just see you know, the way that they. I don't want to say they brought it upon themselves, but they did not do the things that they were advised to do. And this is the reason why. Right. Okay. so another plot point. Uh, They finally do get Jan back. Eventually, the family does come to see that B is a bad guy. 20 years later, Jan comes out, tells her parents the whole story, basically says it wasn't just me being in love. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. He actually molested me and so forth. She and her mom decide to write a memoir together. They go on a little speaking tour doing these little engagements. And guess who shows up at all of their book engagements? Oh, and I completely forgot, by the way, that B burned down dad's flower shop. Okay, that was yeah. oh, yeah. another side story. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah, so um, B kind of can't let go of the fact that the story is being told. He accuses them of slander and so forth. And they have to take him to court for restraining order. And then we actually do see real footage of that courtroom scene. Mr. Birchfield has remained a threat and a danger to me and my family. It is a constant and continuous concern that has escalated in recent months. I hadn't seen the man for 30 years, and 
For about the first five minutes, I was shaking like a leaf. You know this is quite a story, and you have sold a lot of books because of the story, right? We've sold a few books, not enough to make back the investment that we've made to publish the story. Okay, you told ABC News that you were going to make a movie, is that correct? I didn't tell ABC News that. I told them that there might be offers for that. It could happen, I don't know. Is this your goal? This is my goal? Uh-huh. My goal, Mr. Birch told us, to educate the public about predators like you. That is my goal. Um, This was probably one of my biggest rage moments. Um, Just when I thought the rage couldn't get worse watching this documentary, I was like, first of all, um, what kind of court is this that it's okay for her to sit on one side and him to sit on the other and him to start questioning her and going off on her and nobody intervenes in all of this? Like, are you even kidding me? The judge was looking at another direction. He wasn't even he was looking like at filling that. out some paperwork. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was just like, like, what what kind of courtroom was this? But then when she stood up to him, I was like, yes, you go, girl. Mm-hmm. Like, th- that was a really, that was awesome to see. But I just couldn't believe that this jackass just got to sit there and be like, well, you've made a lot of money off your book, haven't you? Well, you want to do this, don't you? Well, you want, and what's your purpose in being here? I'm like, uh, my purpose is to smack you on the head right now. I hate you so much. But, but then I'll also, then we had the biker gang yes. that was protecting her. Bikers oh my against God. child I'm abuse. Like, like the details in this story just kept getting, I, I can't even top that. And then he ran over one of them. Yes. I will what? say I do have some tape of Kevin reacting to our introduction to the bikers against child abuse. Let me just play that real quick. <laughs> one of the bikers recognized him and said, that's virtual. Let's get him. And jumped on the hood of him. He had a, a Dodge van. And they jumped up on the front and was holding on the windshield wiper. So here he sped up and then stopped fast and the guy fell off but he got hurt. Okay, this is the point of documentary where I hate to say it, but it's true. We were just laughing at every damn thing that happened because it was just insanity upon insanity upon insanity. Toby, um, doesn't every neighborhood have a friendly Baca Bikers Against Child Abuse chapter just (laughs) zipping around protecting children? Of course. (laughs) So many of those, uh, you know, guys that are on bikes that get together for some cause cause yeah i mean there's like rolling thunder which was like a very legitimate right. famous one for like vietnam vets bikers for christ i think there's yeah okay one. right and then it starts i keep saying like, okay we're, we're now like trickling down to you know bikers for bikers against child abuse who are the bikers for child abuse That's yeah what I that's right. <laughs> but like what do you do on a motorcycle to, to prevent, prevent child, child abuse <laughs> apparently you take the guy out well he takes you out on his bike yeah um, so he, Burke told, is then uh, charged, found guilty of possession of a firearm and aggravated assault for the biker incident. By the way, he only spent less than a year in prison altogether for the multiple kidnappings and child molestations. He spent 10 days? 10 days. Yeah. yeah. 45 days got bumped down to 10. That's right. Yeah. Should have been 45 fucking years. Exactly. There's an alien planet to save, Kevin. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, but then we find out from Complete his, the mission. his wonderful brother, Joe, that he died by suicide before the sentencing <laughs> could take place by drinking pills along with Kahlua and milk. <laughs> you know what you call that? <laughs> I what don't do you... mean to laugh, but... <laughs> okay, so, Kevin, what did you call this, Dad? I first called it suicide by sombrero. And my son called it a... <laughs> White Russian roulette. (laughs) That's good. Now, of course, we're not laughing at the act of dying by suicide. Everybody knows that is a horrible tragedy to befall anybody. As Laura Bricker says, who the fuck kills themselves by drinking (laughs) (laughs) milk? But it is one more. It's one more detail that just caps this story. 
that just barrages you. It's not a very long, what is it, an hour and a half? Hour and 30 minutes. It just barrages you with detail after detail after. And by the time you get to that point, you don't feel tragedy. You just feel uh, hysterical because you've just been like pelted for like an just, hour and a half with fa- with weird facts. Yeah, yeah. At this point, you just feel so divorced from reality. Right. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's just, it's just thing after thing after thing. And it's just hard to, you know, I think one of the effects of this whole documentary is that it's, by the end, everything is so batshit crazy that it's just hard to see any of these people is, is other than characters in some ways. I was like, whenever, whenever we get back and like at the, at the very end, sort of grown up Jan gets, gets emotional. And it's like, okay, you know, have to kind of reground in the fact that this is actual people this is happening to, because otherwise it just reads as sort of like this absurdist sort of fake thriller. I mean, it, it is, I mean, it's like something you would read, on the uh, paperback rack at the drugstore, mm. you know, it's just it's you wouldn't totally believe it. out there. You wouldn't believe if it. If it was, yeah. I think we should just do what we do. I mean, we I know we've missed about a million tiny details that were in this film, like the sudden disappearance of B's wife, and like we never hear from her again. Like what happened there, for instance. But let's do what we do. Let us give I think our, about his kids. I know, and his kids. Yes, let's do what we do. Let's give our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Would you recommend that people check out? abducted in plain sight if they haven't yet. Laura Bricker, what do you think? I would say if you want to jumpstart your rage walking routine in the new year, definitely watch this because you're going to be rage walking for about the next two weeks straight. So thumbs up. Uh, Toby Ball, what about you? So I guess my, my serious question about this is, is watching like an hour and a half of like every three minutes, like a what the fuck moment does that make a good documentary? And if you think it does, then definitely this is for you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence. I guess I would give it a, a thumbs up just because if that's your thing, you'll really like it because it is, it's just like kind of nonstop. But other than the actual story, like there's not a whole, whole lot added to this. Mm. I mean, it's just basically like, here's the story and here are the people who are involved and I'll tell it to you. The end. So yeah, kind of a, a moderate thumbs up. I'm really torn because my thinking about this is that if you just want something to watch on your own to get a really good documentary, like this is not that. I would say thumbs down for that. This, I almost believe like it's a genre that we haven't seen anything else that that fits this category. Like you kind of have to watch it with somebody else. It's kind of like the red wedding scene in Game of Thrones. Like I really think there could be a new meme People like I did with you, Kevin, just videotape other people watching this and get their reactions and share them online because it's so shocking. And I think more shocking because of the matter of fact way in which it's told. And that's, by the way, Kevin, like I'm not hung up on the fact that they are matter of fact. I'm hung up on the fact that that's how we are getting this information. Mm -hmm. It makes it more shocking to see somebody just tell you who isn't like telling you in a state of hysteria. They're just telling you they were kidnapped twice. And they believe that their aliens were behind it or whatever. So um, I'm really torn. I guess ultimately I did want to finish watching it and I'm still talking about it with people. So I will give it a thumbs up. But it's more to me of a spectator sport than a thoughtful documentary. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up if that is what you're looking for, a true crime spectator sport thumbs up. What about you, Kevin? Uh, I am a thumbs up. Uh, what Toby thought was his weakness, I actually think is its strength. The story itself um, is so powerful and outrageous that it, it carries the whole documentary. 
and that just trying to add to it, embellish certain things, I just feel like it just would not be uh, useful. I think one of the problems with a lot of the documentaries and podcasts that are substandard have to do with source material, right? It's kind of an interesting story, but it's not anything spectacular. And uh, they try to, uh, you know, find the ways that maybe it is. Uh, This is just a outrageous unbelievable story at its heart and to just tell it I think is the way to go now you guys may remember that over the summer I went to Toronto for the Toronto True Crime Film Festival and this was the opening night film and I missed it because I was coming from Washington I wasn't there till the next day Laura I can only imagine what the crowd reaction was for an hour and a half watching this film. You think sitting on the couch or something. You imagine being in a packed theater. Uh, and there was just a huge buzz about it for the rest of the time. I met the director, Sky Borgman, uh, sort of by accident at the end. And I oh, all this. I heard all these really great things. I said, what's, what's next for your film? He said, oh, Netflix just picked it up. And it'll be out in January. And I was like, great, put this down. I'm like thinking again, I hope this is good. And to, it did not disappoint mm. me. So I think, you know, to Sky and your crew, good job. You should celebrate with a really nice meal, the kind that you can get from ButcherBox. Oh, that's a good way to celebrate. ButcherBox delivers healthy 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork. And now... Wild Alaskan salmon. Nice. Which is fresh and nutrient rich as it gets. Uh, we got our latest butcher box, and yeah, it came in. So the uh, the salmon, big steaks of, of salmon with the skin on it, perfect color. You know, it's the kind of quality that you would expect quality from the rest is, of the stuff. It's amazing. Even box. like the ground beef, which like I don't really think a lot about ground beef. We got we use the ground beef to make chili. Oh, yeah. So delicious. The pe- the the beef was so beefy and good, it like popped out of that chili we made. The, but the meats are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I keep thinking like I want to take some of this, uh, set some of, you know, these great uh, cuts of meat aside for when the weather gets better and I can grill. But I don't think I'm going to be able to last that long because it's just That's too tempting. <laughs> See, all the meat is frozen at the peak of freshness in individual vacuum-packed biodegradable packaging. So it's fresh when it gets to your doorstep. And it's also, you know, you, if you can't uh, use all of it because there's a lot of it, you could set it aside in the freezer and then take it out uh, when you want to have a great night's meal. So to get $20 off your first box and two pounds of free salmon, go to butcherbox.com slash C. W-O C-W-O And enter C-W-O That's butcherbox.com Slash C-W-O And enter C-W-O For $20 off your first box And two pounds of free salmon What else you got, Kevin? Well, if there's something interfering with your happiness And preventing you from achieving your goals BetterHelp Online Counseling can help you BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors Who are specialized in issues like uh, Depression, anxiety, relationships grief, self-esteem, and and much more. So you can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You know, if if you've used therapy before to help you work through stuff, you may, you know, know that it can be hard to make the time for a a regular appointment, get out of work, and, you know, what if all of a sudden you have a really bad day one day, and, like, what can you do to help yourself. So this makes things very convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions or chat and text with your therapist. I would love to be able to text with my therapist while like in a staff meeting. Yeah. When your phone 
phone underneath oh, the yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. And I talk need you right now. I need you right now. <laughs> We're talking about coffee cups. Um, <laughs> if for some reason you are not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time. But best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Crime Writers on listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code CRIME. CRIME. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash crime. Crime. Then fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you will love. Maybe you could talk about, we have this really friendly neighbor next door. Oh, but, don't. <laughs> no, 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 but I'm just feeling... A little I, angsty. I feel a little angsty. Again, that's <laughs> betterhelp.com slash crime. Betterhelp.com slash crime. Crime. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. Adul Young of Vacaville, California, may be the king, capital K, of bad roommates. Around Christmas, his roommate announced that he just won $10,000 on a scratch ticket. But when he went to claim his prize, lottery officials said his ticket was a loser. Enter Adul, who showed up the next day with a winning scratch ticket. Hmm, wonder where he got it. He may have thought he could have kept a $10,000 jackpot secret from his roommate, but then lottery officials told him his winning ticket was actually worth $10 million. The roommate was already suspicious of Adul and reported him to police before he tried to cash the winner. When Adul was invited back to the lottery office to collect his money, a detective instead put the cuffs on him. So here's my question for you, panel. Because this was such a very inconsiderate act by this roommate. We can assume he's just not a great roommate in other areas, too. What other bad roommate behavior could be attributed to a duel? Laura, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go with just like leaving his dirty underwear in your room or something. Um, <laughs> you know, something disgusting like that. What do you think, Toby? What do you think a duel could have done as a roommate that was perhaps a clue that he was going to steal his roommate's $10 million scratch ticket jackpot? Uh, doesn't replace a toilet paper roll. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just like my roommate. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think? Uh, fish in the microwave. Oh, yeah. Oh, yuck. <laughs> By the way, $10 million scratch ticket? That's even a thing? It was a $30 ticket. It's a big yeah. jackpot for wow. a scratch ticket. Yeah. All right, Laura Bricker, before we wrap up the show, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. This is this is a great one. It's a cat slash crime of the week all in one, um, courtesy of Shelly, who emailed us this um, She do- because she does not use Twitter or Facebook. Book. Last September, she adopted a stray cat that a friend found wandering the neighborhood. Uh, she has lots of dogs and couldn't keep him. He's an orange tabby, which we all know is my favorite. And here's the part that Toby particularly might find humor in. She found him after he had been attacked by an owl. What? Ooh. She actually heard the owl attack in the middle of the night. And the vet thinks based on his wounds, the owl tried to take off with him. Mm. <clears throat> uh, much like Kathleen Peterson. Um, <laughs> he was about a year old at the time and underweight for his size. So totally doable, I guess. Um, he's all healed up now. He's healthy and poofed out. For a stray cat that is terrified of technology, he legit tried to beat the shit out of the Blu-ray player when he heard it open. He's the most lovable cat who comes running to the door to greet you when you get home and he loves to be with you, especially when she's putting up her Christmas decorations. So here's, we have a before and after shot that I will tweet out before, after the owl attack, and now. Oh, God, poor little thing. Oh, now he's all fluffy. So there you go, cat slash crime of the week. So did she end up keeping the cat after all? Well, her friend couldn't keep the cat because her friend had a bunch of dogs. So it was her friend who had the cat. Shelly's cat, wow. Yeah, so it's a very cute little orange tabby, which, of course, is my favorite cat. So, yes, wow. But I'm sure Toby just thinks the cat was hit by a blowpoke, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> it's, it's always people are always pointing the finger at owls. <laughs> fucking sick of it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to email us your cat of the week submission, you can email it to crimewriterson at gmail dot com. But if you would like to reach out to Laura on Twitter to nominate your pet as cat of the week, it could be a dog, it could be an iguana, it could be anything you want. Laura Bricker, how can people find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, people want to reach out to you to give you crap about your disbelief in the owl theory once again. <laughs> How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and perhaps volunteer use of their industrial cleaning services for our rental house, <laughs> how could they find you online? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the thoughtful discussions on the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can find that just by searching for Crime Writers On on Facebook. If you find our regular Facebook page, there's a button right there to enter the group. Just answer a couple of quick questions and we will let you in, especially if you say that Lara Bricker is your favorite crime writer. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter and support the show on Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You will get access to the Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast. That episode is coming out any minute now for this month. And you can also get access to Lara Bricker's Rage Walking True Crime Fitness fun group. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we get messages from outer space telling us to, quote, complete the mission. On behalf we have of, to complete the mission, Rebecca. <laughs> on behalf of it's all the crime so writers, long. thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Mace? Is sponsoring our show? Yeah, I know. That's awesome. I want to read this to you. You've probably heard of Mace. (laughs) (laughs) The brand that invented pepper spray. Mace also has tons of other awesome self-defense products. Mace Plus. Diet Mace. (laughs) Mace with lime. (laughs) Barbecue flavored Mace. Mace. (laughs) Chipotle. I love that Mace Doritos is supporting Mace. this show. Yeah. I love it. It's my favorite sponsor. Partners in Crime Media. Whatever struggles you are facing, from depression to anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can schedule secure video and phone sessions or chat and text with your therapist. And anything you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Crime Writers on listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code CRIME. Crime. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com slash crime and fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a counselor that you'll love today. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. 
The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions.